to begin with a, a warm welcome, a heartfelt welcome. It's for those who are a part of Capital City, I love you guys deeply. Thank you so much. For those who are visiting, I hope you feel welcome this day. We're glad to have you with us to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Is he not just such an awesome God? I picked you up there, Catherine. She wanted to sing that song. I cut her off. Such an awesome God he is. Um, Just a reminder to pick up on what we're doing throughout the month. The month will be turning over here next week, so we'll get some new things up there. Also, too, just to say... We've got a lot of really fun things in the works for the summer months. So towards the end of May and running through the month of August, we're just going to pick up what we did last year, have a bunch of one-off things. We've got a day at the lake. We've got a family movie night. We've got a couple bike rides. We've got all sorts of stuff that we're doing together and planning as a, as a community. And um, we'll bring that calendar to you guys as we start setting those things up. I've even heard we might do some roller skating any roller skaters out there? Come on now. I, I literally went to Janice. When we started talking about it, I went to Janice. I was like, Janice, I totally feel like you would be a roller skater. I can just see you out there like with that. You know the, how Stevie Nicks has that lacy chiffon thing and Janice is like, Dude, I couldn't even do the backwards thing, but you know, I was like, that's how I'm picturing you, Janice, out there. Anyway, we're going we're gonna to have a lot of fun together. And then also, like we did last year, we're going to anchor those months with just some larger, in the park, um, having lots of fun, cornhole tourney, we're going to do that again. Yeah. And, uh, and so anyway, I just want to let you guys know we're working on that. And as soon as we have the calendar set, we'll bring it in and uh, we'll give all those dates to you guys so you can start planning for it. All right? Start, start warming up right now, your cornhole muscles, um, because it's going to be a lot of fun. All right? Okay, would you please turn in your Bibles to the book of Ezra? And as you're doing that, you know, the last uh, few weeks, I've become acutely aware of one massive deficiency within this eldership team. I know, this is serious. Our ability to pronounce the names of some of these people, I mean, I'm not going to point anything out too direct, but Rick bailed last week, just straight up bailed on those names. So you know what I, no, no, your, your time is, your time is gone. (laughs) So because of that, I've decided to to take a different approach this morning. So I, I've got some, um, I've got some backup. So if I can ask Penelope Purdy and June Gomez, and Judah Martinez to come on up here to the front. I figure we can't do it, but surely, look at how smart these kids look too. You guys come right over here. You guys stand right over here. So we're going to do, we're going to do this. You guys might not know June, but if, if you've met Greg and Noy, this is one of their three beautiful daughters, and she's just so precious and so quiet, and I just feel like I'm just going to hug you. <laughs> So um, what we're going to do this morning is, so our Emerging Generation kids are with us this morning um, to receive the Word of God, and I thought, man, I love hearing children speak the Word and read the Word. So I've asked them, and I've given them a portion, so we're actually going to team up together, okay? So I'm going to start, 
and then I'm going to hand it off to you guys. And what we'll do is, this is going to be the Bible that you're going to read from, and this is going to be the microphone that you're not going to pay attention to, because it can be kind of nervous, make you nervous sometimes, okay? So we're going to teach from Ezra chapter 8 this morning, and um, I'm going to read verses 15 through 32, and we'll have it up on the monitors. And uh, I'm not going to read verses 1 through 14, and I'll, I think it's probably rather apparent, but I'll tell you why. As I said earlier, we don't read names very well here, so I'm going to skip that. But I'm going to start in verse 15, and then um, I'm going to have Penny read in a moment. Okay, you guys are going to follow along with me? Okay, I'll point it out to you when it's time. Okay? You can just follow along as I'm reading. Beginning in verse 15, Ezra chapter 8. I gather them to the river that runs to Ahava, and there we camped three days. Now he's referring to all the names of the individuals that he's listed in verses 1 through 14, those who are returning with Ezra to Jerusalem. And there we camped for three days, and as I reviewed the people and the priests, I found there none of the sons of Levi. Then I sent for Eliezer, Ariel, Shemaiah, El-Nathan, Jerib, El-Nathan, Nathan, Zechariah, and Meshulam, Meshulam, leading men. And for, oh, here we go. It's like I get in my head. Yeah, I got this. Joyrib, another El-Nathan, who were men of insight. And for those of us who speak Spanish, we just know it means the Nathan, right? <laughs> men of insight, and sent them to Edo, the leading man at the place, Casiphia, telling them what to say to Edo and his brothers and the temple servants at the place, Casiphia, namely to send us ministers for the house of our God, and by the good hand of our God on us, they brought us a man of discretion of the sons of Mali, the son of Levi, son of Israel, namely Sherebiah, with his sons and kinsmen, 18. Also, Hashabiah, and with him, Jeshiah, of the sons of Merari, with the kinsmen and their sons, 20. Besides 220 of temple servants whom David and his officials had set apart to attend the Levites, these were all mentioned by name. And now Penny's going to read for us verse 21 through verse 23. You got it there, honey? Yep, you're going to read that whole paragraph. Can you read it kind of nice and loud? Go for it. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against our enemy on our way, since we had told the king, the hand of our God is for, is for good on all who seek him and the power of his wrath against all, pers- all who forsake him. You want to do 23? So we fasted? Oh. So we fasted and implored our God for this, and he listened to our entreaty. Amen. And then I set apart 12 in the leading priests, Sherebiah, Hashabiah, and 10 of their kinsmen with them. And I weighed out to them the silver and the gold and the vessels, the offering for the house of our God, that king and his counselors and his lords and all Israel there present had offered. I weighed out 
into their hand 650 talents of silver and silver vessels worth 200 talents and 100 talents of gold, 20 bowls of gold worth 1,000 derricks and two vessels of fine, bright, bronze, and precious gold. Now, lovely June, are you ready? Okay. You are going to read verse 28 through verse 31. Do you have it there? Can you see 28? Yeah. There you go. Take it. Oh, yes. And I said to them, you are, the, or you are holy to the two vessels of fine bright bronze as precious gold. And I said to them, you are holy to the Lord, and the vessels are holy, and the silver and the gold are a free will offering to the... To Yep, you got it. The Lord. The Lord of your fathers. Mm -hmm. Guard them and keep them until you weigh them before the the chief priest mm -hmm. and the Levites and the heads of fathers' houses in Israel at Jerusalem. Within the chambers of the house of the Lord, so the priests and the Levites took over the weight of mm -hmm. the silver and the gold and the vessels to bring them to Jerusalem to the house of our God. Then we departed from the river Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. The hand of our God was on us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from bushes by the way. Mm -hmm. Excellent job. Thank you, June. We came to Jerusalem, and there we remained three days. On the fourth day, within the house of our God, the silver and the gold and the vessels were weighed into the hands of Merimoth, the priest, son of Uriah, with him Eleazar, the son of Phinehas, and with them were the Levites, Josabad, the son of Yeshua, and Noadiah, the son of Binui. The whole was counted and weighed, and the weight of everything was recorded. At that time, those who had come from captivity, the returned exiles, offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel, 12 bulls for all Israel, 96 rams, 77 lambs, and as sin offering, 12 male goats, all was burnt offerings to the Lord. They also delivered the king's commissions to the king's satraps yeah. and to the governors of, of the province, beyond the river, and they added the people in the house of God. Excellent. Thank you, you guys. Hey, do you want to do one more thing for me? While you guys are here this morning, while I'm teaching, we have a word search for you guys. You want to pass them out to your classmates throughout the room? You go and take one for yourself? No, don't want to. Okay. You know, that's a rule of thumb as a parent. If you want your kid to do something, don't ask them if they want to do it. I'm just playing with you. I know. I'm just joking. Okay, who's here? Okay, there's some over here. You want to go over there and hand them over there? Okay. Thanks, guys, for helping. Thanks, June. Aren't they fantastic? Isn't it wonderful to... It's like, man... 
that the word of the Lord comes from the mouth of children. It's such a blessing. So I want to begin this morning by making a summary statement as I was thinking about it. Um, I was trying to think, man, how do, I, how do I just kind of synthesize everything that I'm feeling and, and desirous of teaching this morning from the text that we just read? This portion or this, this chapter of Ezra um, can be broken into kind of four primary sections. And actually, if you, within your Bible, it's probably already done that way. Um, but the first 14 verses, 1 through 14, as I said, are covering essentially just a, it's another record like chapter 2 that covers the names of the individuals who Ezra has taken back with him to Jerusalem for the sake of establishing the law, as we know. Verses 15 through 20, then, it's this interesting story of how in preparation for the return, for the journey, Ezra, at, at the water's edge of Ahava, they gather, and Ezra begins to realize he has no Levites that are present in order for them to return, or in, in their return, there is none from the tribe of Levi that are even present. And then in verses 21 through 23, <clears throat> which uh, Penelope read, there is the, the preparation, post-counting and post-strategizing. Now they're going to pray and fast in recognition that the journey that lies ahead is difficult. And then in verse 24 through 36, it's their journey back and the role of the priests in the journey. And so those are essentially the four parts. But within those four parts, as I was reading and just pondering and asking the Lord what he would speak to us, what we ought to teach and what we could be encouraged in this day, I realized there's actually kind of two sub-themes, if you will, or, or two groups of individuals that emerge. And I began to think more about the significance of the presence of the priests and the Levites in Ezra chapter 8. And so I'm saying this because I want to give you a summary statement for my aim this morning. And as I began to formulate it, I went, you know what? Someone has already said what I'm thinking and what's in my heart, and they've said it a lot better than I have. And so I'm going to read to you, and this is my summary for what I'm going to teach this morning. Hey, can you control it for me, bro? I don't actually have any control this morning. Thanks so much. He says this, and I quote, God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that we, excuse me, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. And please recognize the tense of that word. What then shall we say of these things? Church, if God is for us, who is against us? In all of these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loves us. In what? In all of these things. In what things? Predestination, call, justification, glorification. In these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything other created will be able to separate us 
from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is obviously a a very well-known and such a brilliantly stated portion of Romans chapter 8 by Paul. And as I was putting it on my keynote, I wish I knew Paul's last name. You know, Paul Franklin, Paul of Tarsus. I know, but wouldn't it be if we like his, his family name, right? But in it, he covers such significant aspects, and, and I'm not going to take time to teach Romans 8, but that's just the thrust of what I want to say out of Ezra 8 this morning. Consider the source of what Paul is talking about. The source of all of that is God himself. The means, that is, the works that God is doing and accomplishing in us, the degree that Paul talks about, it's overwhelmingly that we accomplish and that we conquer, right? Overwhelmingly. And again, the source is God, the means is God, the degree is God to an overwhelming degree, and the distance or the, or, or the depth or the duration, if you will, is what? To the end, to the uttermost, to the absolute completion. In other words, brothers and sisters, it's all God, by God, for God, through to the end with absolute certainty. That's what I want to wrap our hearts and our minds around this morning. And so I want to look at Ezra in two parts today. The first is the significance of the Old Testament in light of the new covenant reality. And the second is to find our strength and to find our encouragement to be faithful to what God has put in front of us in this day and age. So let's find Jesus, and let's find us in Ezra 8 this morning. So as I said, it's got the the four parts, but there's two parts, or there's two aspects that are really the primary thrust that I feel, and that is the role of the priests and the role of the Levites, and the necessity, really, if we consider that Ezra communicates that their part played both in the journey as well as in Jerusalem. And so we should be rather familiar with these two groups, but just as a very quick reminder, the priests, they were men called by God from from the lineage of Aaron, Moses' brother, who both Moses and Aaron were Levites themselves, appointed by God whose responsibility it was to administer and to facilitate worship of the Lord God in the tabernacle. That was the role of the priest. They were individuals who were set apart for a very distinct work. They were consecrated. You know what that word consecrated means? It means that they were made sacred, ceremonially made sacred. These men were consecrated by God in that they were made clean, which allowed them to go about their work in the tabernacle, and they were wholly and utterly dedicated to their work, making every effort in their ability to remain clean and consecrated and set apart under the work of the Lord Jesus. Are you already picking up what I'm laying down this morning, brothers and sisters? The Levites, they were also from the tribe of Benjamin, Levi called by God to serve the needs of the priests and the people of God and the temple needs for the continuance of worship. They were just temple servants, essentially. 
ministers to those whom God had consecrated, the priests. But not just to the priests, but they also ministered by way of service to the people and to the entirety of the tabernacle and the temple itself. They guarded the tent. They guarded the people, we're told, as they worshiped. They guarded the temple vessels, the ark, and everything else that went along with it. They guarded it as ministers and servants to the Lord. They guarded the tent itself. They were in charge of the pillars, the drapings, the, the curtains, the, the screens, and the coverings. Like literally every single aspect of the tent of meeting was the responsibility of the Levites to maintain. And, when we, and, and we know in, when God establishes the, the, the tent and the tabernacle, what he, it's moving, right? So we've talked about this before, just the work that would go into tearing it down, moving it, setting it back up. 40 years. You guys think a year in serving in the kids' ministry is hard? <laughs> Try 40 years of tearing down the temple. Huh? Some of you have served 40 years in the kids' ministry, and you, you might know what that's like now. <laughs> in short, they were possessed by God as his workers and ministers in worship. And so, as I read Ezra 8, there was this picture that, that began to emerge from this, and it's, it was this, it's one of God's new covenant people. As I began just to think about the significance of the priests and the Levites, and as Ezra gives emphasis to the role that they played, I began to realize it's a picture of us, church. Listen to the language that Peter uses in 1 Peter 2. We know this text well. He describes us like this. He says that you are a chosen race, a royal a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In other words, church, we are both worshipers of God and laborers for God. That is what we are. Or to put it another way, as God's new covenant people, we are both priests and Levites in the kingdom of God. As priests, our function is to administer worship unto God, like we have done this morning and like we are doing right now. We're consecrated. We are holy. We've been bought, set apart by the blood of Christ Jesus. We've been made clean by the blood of Christ Jesus and through his regenerating power. And like the priests, we too are to make every effort to remain sanctified and clean and set apart and wholly devoted. And in verse 28, which June read, by way of stirring with them the faith for the task that Ezra was calling them to, he says this, he reminds them of who they are. He said, you are holy to the Lord and the vessels are holy. So as he's commissioning them and as he's preparing them for the journey that they're about, about to embark on, Ezra is reminding the people, this is who you are. 
And then right after that, he reminds them of what they are to do. He says, guard them, the vessels he's speaking of, and keep them until you weigh them before the chief priests. And I just felt like, church, the Lord is reminding us of this wonderful commission that he's given to us once again. Also with just such a great sense of urgency today. Know and remember that you are holy before the Lord. Because when you know that, it affects how you live. It affects how you understand yourself and the responsibility that you have as a holy vessel of God. You are holy. Know that you are a vessel of treasure. Not just in your worth, absolutely in your worth, but what we carry as Christ's vessel. Ambassadors, carrying with us the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ for the glory of Jesus Christ. And a reminder, I just felt like the Lord was saying, guard this treasure, keep it. Because like the priests who were with Ezra, we too are called to steward well the weight that we have been given until the day when we hand it to the chief priest. Christ Jesus. Such a beautiful kind of parallel symbolism here in Ezra. Similarly, in 2 Timothy 1, Paul charges Timothy, he says, to guard the good deposit that has been entrusted to you. Guard the good deposit. See, as Levites in the New, Co in the new Covenant age, we're called to labor for God. So as priests, we're called to be worshipers unto the Lord Jesus Christ. We're called to be consecrated unto the Lord Jesus Christ. And as, as, as Levites, in a sense, in, in the new covenant, we're called to be laborers with Christ and for Christ. Notice in verse 15, as Ezra has gathered the people at the river in preparation, he begins to take account of all who are there, and he realizes there's not a single Levite here. He says, not one from the tribe of Levi. Not even a straggler who found, hey, what's going on here, guys? <laughs> Not one. Think about, again, what I've just said, the significance of the Levites for the temple. It's literally impossible for worship to continue. Now, that being said, when Zerubbabel returned with the first wave that almost 100 years prior, he brought with him Levites, but not very many. There were temple servants, but now at this point, for whatever reason in his preparation, there are none. How can the work be carried out if those who are called to serve the Lord and the people are not present? See, what's not stated but could easily be assumed is that none willingly came forward to return to Jerusalem. Why? Temple work is difficult. And again, remember the context in, in the historicity here of what we're talking about. Like those who returned the first time to, to rebuild the altar and to rebuild the temple, most if not, or, or many if not most, were doing something they had never done before. So too now, there are those who are of the tribe of Levi who at this point have never served or ministered within the temple of the Lord. 
They don't know how to do it. But we know it's incredibly difficult. It's arduous, right? It's laborious. It required an incredible amount. And we're not even going through what we learn of what the Lord specifies for the Levites. But we're talking about day and night service. Long periods of time. It was costly. Like it was costly for the first, the return. They had to leave the security. They left safety. They left success. Same thing here. None came forward probably because of what the cost was for them. Remember, I'm talking about ministering in the new covenant era, laboring with the Lord Jesus Christ, church. It's costly. It requires a lot from us. It's difficult. It asks us to leave things behind, comfort and success. Have you ever considered why in Matthew 9, Jesus says that the harvest is great, but the laborers are few? It's because harvesting is hard. It's not that there's a thousand of them and they're unwilling. It's that there's so many, there's so much harvest to be done. And it's such a difficult task. Brothers and sisters, our call to be ambassadors of Christ Jesus is costly. In fact, it is going to cost, and it does cost, all that we have to offer to God. But we have to know this, and we have to resolve this in our hearts. No matter what the call is, if it is God who is calling, we must respond. We must respond. And we must throw ourselves into it with all that we are and with all that we have. That's what it means to be a Levite in this present day and age. And then to take this old covenant, new covenant parallel one step further, I, I just recognize this as well. Ezra's preparation of the people in verses 21 through 23 and his dividing of the weight to the priests in verses 24 through 30, it's almost emblematic of, of Jesus's commissioning in Matthew 28. In a sense, there's a transference of authority and responsibility to those who were commissioned and dedicated to minister. It says, as he weighs into their hand the portion that they were to carry and guard on their journey. Church, we've been given a measure of weight to carry and to guard and to steward well on this journey. What are we doing with it? How are we stewarding it? And just to remind us of that summary from Romans 8, though the labor and the weight may be challenging and the journey may be challenging, its destination and its path, that is the new Jerusalem, right? That's the trek that we're on. They are set and they are most certainly attainable. It is a foregone conclusion that we will complete what God has begun in us. So I just want to spend the remainder of the time that I have this morning, and I want to give you five things in regards to this certainty. And 
I'm really bad at sermon titles. Sometimes they're super cheesy. I've given this, last week Rick's sermon title was The Man in His Mission. So this, this morning I've entitled my preach, Mission Attainable, Cheese Factor 10. <laughs> you can put that in parentheses. Mission Attainable, and I just want to speak. Be, there, I mean, listen, I don't put a lot of thought into my sermon titles, obviously, but I was just trying to think of like, what is it that we're honing into here? Brothers and sisters, it's the certainty that we live in light of. Do we live in light of the certainty of what is ours? Both now in terms of the deposit that has been given and, of course, in light of eternity. Or are, do we waver? Do we stumble? Do we, do we live as though maybe things aren't certain? And so I want to just take five things out of Ezra 8 to encourage and destabilize us this morning. And I'm going to use an alliteration because I think alliterations are fun. And I think as the listener, it's fun. And maybe you're wondering, is this guy or woman going to actually pull it off? Can they complete the alliteration without undermining, you know, the significance of the text? Yes, I can. So these are the five things that we are to know as, as sojourners on our way to the new Jerusalem as God's chosen people, we are counted, we are called, we are commissioned, we are covered, and we are completed. Those five things, counted, called, commissioned, covered, and completed. And they're all represented here in Ezra 8, and I'm just going to go through them now at this point. And I just want to point out this, that in Ezra the significance of all of these things that we extract are for one purpose, to complete well the journey that was before them. That is our aim, and that is our view as well. So the first, to know that you are counted. And again, that's verses 1 through 14. And I said this when I taught chapter 2, but that we are known intimately and numbered individually by God. As we're given, again, another record of the names and numbers of those who returned with Ezra, it reminds us that God numbers his people as a reminder that he sees us, that we belong to him, and as a record throughout generation to generation of the faithfulness of God to his people. This is why God numbers his people. And so for us today, to know that we too are counted, church. That we are one of his own. You don't need to wonder. All you need to do is now live like you are one of his own. But we are one of his own. Listen, if your weakness today lies in questioning if you're truly one of his, may this truth lift you to a place of faith. Jeremiah prophesies this in chapter 29. And Christians love to quote Jeremiah 29 because it's encouraging. But listen, Jeremiah 29 is literally towards these people right here in Ezra 8. This is who he's speaking to. He says this, Jeremiah 29:10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are complete for, for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. 
Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and, I, and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Brothers and sisters, today the Lord says this, because you are mine, you will call and I will hear. Just like this morning, we call out to God in a sense in our worship, in our proclamation, our declaration. And what does God do? He is faithfulness, faithful to respond to his people. You will call, he says, and I will hear. You will seek me and I will be found by you because I have a future for you and I have a hope for you. Don't lose hope today, church. Don't lose hope today. The Lord sees you. You are one of his. And then secondly, to know that we are called. In verses 15 through 18, Ezra, realizing again that there's none who will serve in the temple, he goes looking for those who would faithfully minister in such a way. To be called by God. Listen, it happens at salvation when the grace of God has its full work upon our hearts. And we cannot resist the grace of God. And he calls us and he draws us unto himself. But thinking about this this week, there's an individual that I know that I've just been in conversation with and I know that God is drawing him to himself. He has not brought him to faith yet, but I know that God is calling him. This is a part of the work of salvation, of being called by God. But it also means that we have been bought by him through the blood of Jesus Christ, and we have been saved by him by grace, each one of us who is of faith today. And it's not just that we are God's possession, it's also for a purpose. And again, in, in 1 Peter 2.9, he says that about us, that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that... We are these things for a purpose. And what is that purpose? That we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are called by God. Yes, find resolve that you are his, but do not let it end there. We are called for a purpose. May we devote ourselves fully to being ministers of him and ministers of his gospel of grace. Amen. Number three, I'm moving quickly for the sake of time, but to know church, God today wants us to know and to resolve that we are commissioned. And we already looked at verse 25 where Ezra portions to each the measure of weight, which is theirs to carry. So I'll, I'll just say this. To be commissioned means that we're charged with a task, but not just charged. We're then enabled and we're empowered by God to obediently complete the task that he's given to us. Jesus says this in Acts, you will receive power, Acts chapter one. You will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Not you will receive power and you should think about being my witness. Or maybe consider really strongly all the reasons that being a witness would be enjoyable for you because there's a lot of those. No, no, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. We are commissioned church, brothers and sisters. Know that you are commissioned. Be reminded today of what God has given to you as a weight. The gospel of Jesus Christ, steward it well, care for it, guard it, but don't squelch it, right? Don't hide it away. Give it away. So today, if you find yourself lifeless in a sense or lacking faith, feeling stale or perhaps too self-focused, may God enliven your spirit today to remember, listen, to remember the sin that you came from, that he brought you out of, the transference into the glorious kingdom of light. Number four, God wants us to know today that we're covered. We are covered. Settle it. Verse 31, Ezra says, the hand of our God was on us and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambushes on the way. The hand of our God was on us. To be covered by God means that we're guarded by faith and securely fixed in the shadow of his wings as the author of Psalms would write. When I'm, you know, as a psalmist would say. We're guarded by faith and we're hidden in Christ Jesus and we're kept by his mighty hand. Peter also says this in 1 Peter 1, that we are those who by God's power are being guarded through faith. Again, notice the source like in Romans 8. What is the source? We're guarded by God's power. Not our own strength, not our own ability, not our, not, not our, our ability to, to not sin because we're not going to be able to do that perfectly. We're guarded by God's power through faith. So settle this issue today. It's not how well you perform. It's not how good your behavior is. It's the gift of grace within you that God guards that ensures you will be completed. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord today. For some of us, anxiousness, fear of the future and the unknown, worry about present circumstances, our health, our family, our finance, they become hindrances to the gospel at best and debilitating at worst. We're so consumed with those things at times. They're hindrances to the gospel of Jesus Christ. If today we're carrying around the trauma that comes from living in this world as a sinful human, give those things to the eternal, transcendent, all-powerful God. Give those things to him. Let him take, again, as Alexa shared, cast off every weight and sin that hinders us. And man, brothers and sisters, let's run with perseverance the race that's set before us, right? Amen. 
Let's run well. Let's finish this journey well. Let's not just be so focused on the end that we miss the present. And let's not be so focused on the present that we miss the end goal. But let's hold it all in tension that we would run well. I love Psalm 46, verse 1. The psalmist writes, God is our refuge and our strength. Again, settle this, that we're covered. A very present help in trouble. Therefore, therefore, in light of these things, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, In verse four, I love this. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, minister to your church right now, I pray. May we find gladness in the stream of life that flows from the throne of God this morning. May we find sustenance, Lord Jesus. May we find confidence and hope. May we find contentment, Lord, in the stream. And it says in verse 5 of Psalm 46, God is in the midst of her. Speaking again of the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High, God is in the midst of her and what? She shall not be moved. We have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Therefore, we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed. God will help her when the morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Amen. We are covered, brothers and sisters. There's no wondering whether God cares for his people. And lastly, the Lord wants us to settle today knowing that we are completed. We are completed, probably not grammatically correct to say we are completed in a sense. But what Doug said is true. It's the present perfect tense of Romans 8. No, no. Sorry, you got my point though. Romans 8 is past and yeah. Anyway, it's the present perfect tense. We have been, we are, and we will be. There's no ending to any of those. It's a continuation that moves on. We are completed. After all the planning, after all the preparation, after almost really the majority of the thrust of Ezra chapter 8, we come to verse 32 And it's a bit like the beginning of Ezra. It tells us nothing about the journey. And Ezra says this, and we arrived in Jerusalem. All of that. It's like a month trek. And we got there. And we did it. I love just like the the absolute kind of succinct pointedness to the statement. It's almost a bit like not undermining but it doesn't make more of the journey than it is. Was the journey difficult? Yeah, he says. Man, but it was the hand of God that kept us from the ambushes and from the enemy. 
I just felt like this morning too, church, for us, it's like to have a right perspective of the journey. In the sense of this, let's not make more of it than it is. And we got there. And we're with Christ. And we're glorified. And we're in the presence of God. With the myriads and myriads of believers who have gone before us. And we made it to the new Jerusalem. To be completed means that we will finish and we will achieve God's desired outcome because it's God's desired outcome and it is God's power that is guarding us and it's God's spirit that is enabling us by our own obedient faith. Again, we are those who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That's the purpose of God for us. Peter's not talking about salvation in this life. He's talking about our glorification. Salvation's ultimate and final expression whereby we achieve the goal that we set out for in faith. That's what Peter's talking about. See, some of us today need to be reminded of this very thing as well, that what God begins, he completes. Right? We say that a lot, but it's true. Those he calls, he saves. Those he saves, he glorifies. There are no yeah buts in that statement. There's none. He sees, he predestines, he calls, he justifies, he glorifies. And all that's past tense. Thank God. Foregone conclusion. Our faith will be complete because he, not we, but he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. So church, just to say this, I believe that God is calling us to be like Ezra. In the face of a, of a difficult and dangerous journey, he called the people and himself to a place of faith by confessing one very clear conviction. The hand of our God is for good on all who seek him. And the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. That we would just live by that mantra. The hand of God is for good for those who seek him. And we might say this, but do we really believe it? Do we really believe it? See, I think that a church that believes that statement, that lives in light of these things, that lives with just stabilized as individuals, as sons and daughters, that's a dangerous church. Dangerous in the sense of, man, immovable and effective, right? Immovable and effective. Say it with me. Immovable and effective. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ enable us to be immovable and effective for him. Amen? Would you stand with me, please? Father, this day, as we have been in your presence, we want to thank you again for what you have spoken to us, Lord. Just such a clear sense of you uh, stabilizing our hearts amid the storm of this world. 
And Lord, I thank you that you have reminded us about the nature of your church, that she is your church and that you are guarding her, Lord. And so I pray that this morning that there would just be a clarion call to each one of us in light of what has been said, Lord, to bring our thinking and to bring our living into alignment with truth, Lord God. Our desire is to be immovable and it is to be effective within your kingdom, Lord God, but we cannot do it without you and we cannot do it out of our own strength, Lord. It must be the strength and the empowering of you, of your spirit within us, Lord. So I pray, Father, that you would now cultivate in our hearts, Lord, just plant a deep root and may it bear fruit within us, Father. I ask, Lord, for healing today. Healing, Father, where we are not living in alignment with this truth. Lord, where there's unbelief, where there's fear, Father, where there's sin, or, and again, perhaps even idolatry that has made its way in place of some of these things, Lord, I ask that you would speak to us, that you would forgive us, that you would heal us. Do your work in us right now, Lord, we pray. Right now, Lord. Overcome our thinking. Lord, we put aside our schedules that are happening right outside in the next few minutes. We put aside all of those things, Lord, and we just stand before you right now. We ask to do your deep work in us, deep work in us, Lord, deep work in us. I pray for anxious hearts and fearful hearts, Lord, to find that gladness and that refreshing that comes from the river, Lord from the stream of God. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ today. I pray for the wandering heart, Lord, that just kind of has moved in and out of these things. Lord, bring us back in. Bring us back in, Lord. You are the good shepherd, Lord, and you love your sheep, and you are so kind and so gentle with us, Lord Jesus. I thank you that you go after us when we wander, May we not wander, Lord God. Father, we love you so much. We dedicate ourselves, Lord, and just as a closing, we remind ourselves of the consecration of your temple workers, Lord. May we strive to be wholly set apart to you, to be wholly dedicated to you to be wholly devoted to you, Lord, consecrated servants and ministers of the gospel of Jesus. To your glory, amen. Amen. Uh, just maybe we'll, either one of you, do you, elders, do you guys have something that you want to say just in closing? Not that anything else needs to be said, but I feel like God has just been speaking, 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 speaking. And I just want to make sure we're listening as much as possible.